Ash Wednesday, it pretty much preaches itself. You're going to die, amen. Right? But really, there is something sort of strangely comforting about it. Something we avoid so often, right? It's like fearing the boogeyman and spending every night trying to avoid the dark running into your bed and jumping up onto your bed and never looking underneath and never having your closet open, only finally getting to meet him face to face and realizing that you're still okay. It's like the calm in the middle of the storm, a realization that the worst thing we can imagine is true and is happening, but we can cohabitate with it, learn from it, even embrace the calm that facing these fears brings. I like to think of Ash Wednesday as extreme exposure therapy. Being reminded by the person that will bury you, that's me, you're gonna die. I've been a pastor for 19 years, so I have many, many times marked someone with ashes, looked them in the eye, told them that they are dust and to dust that they shall return, and buried them within the year. This is not symbolic. This is not hyperbole. This is not metaphor. This is happening. None of us gets out of this life alive. None of us gets out of this life without suffering. The invitation of this extreme exposure therapy of Ash Wednesday and Lent is to remember that our lives are deadly serious, so we must live them with all the love, grace, and joy we can muster. It's to remind us that anything we do to try and fit in and please others is going to be bankrupt. If we try to live in a way that impresses others like the, the folk that Jesus talked about in the gospel today, what people expect and want and respect is vastly different from what God values. So, the only test in this being mortal thing is can we still love? Can we still choose healing and grace? Can we take these days that are numbered and not live in terror and numbing and instead live in the kind of faith that extends beyond the grave? Martin Luther, you might have heard of him, famously said that if he knew the world would end tomorrow, what would he do? Plant an apple tree today. That is what Ash Wednesday Lent, and the entire Christian journey beckons us to life, life, life. As Christians, we do not pull punches on suffering. We are the people of the passion, the crucifixion, the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, the flood, the banishment from paradise, mortality, there is no place in Christianity for a faith that precludes suffering. It is very central to who we are. We acknowledge it and we even embrace it, knowing that it is part of what brings transformation. There is no resurrection without death. But we also have this crazy idea that death brings resurrection. And that the counterpoint to all this suffering and mortality is that new life, forgiveness, 
salvation, baptism, resurrection is for us. It's what caused the martyrs to sing to their deaths and Martin Luther to proclaim that he would plant hope in the face of mass destruction. And it is what enables us, mortals, dust, to have the courage to embrace it all so that we do not live in fear and control. On the Wednesdays throughout Lent, come next Wednesday again, we will embark on a journey of intentional healing, a waking up to what needs to be prevailed upon so that we can walk in this love and light and not in fear. In addition, we'll be reading a book that gives us practical ways to live with intentionality and love, a window into a way of living that has been practiced for well over a thousand years, a way to interpret the Christian tradition and move through the world, never denying our mortality and yet never giving into hopelessness and nihilism. Add that to whatever you feel the Spirit moving you into in deeper devotion, and we got this, y'all. We have been invited. Tonight, tonight we sit firmly in the eye of the storm. Mortal, dying yet not yet. In a moment of calm to face our fears down and know that the boogeyman, although real enough, is not here to hurt us. Just to show us a more profound and purposeful way to live. Death is not the enemy. Not living in love is the enemy. Our mortality is not something to fear. Not truly embracing grace, hope, and love is something to fear. God's got us into eternity. We trust that. So tonight, Christians, hear the truth. You will die, but not today. So rise up in newness of life until your day comes. Live in love and devotion to God and neighbor, remembering always that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Amen. Welcome to Lent. Last week we had beautiful stories about mountaintops, and today we have the devil um, urging Jesus to throw himself off high points and then taking him to a mountain and tempting him. What a difference a week makes. All of this week's scriptures are pretty ominous. Really getting into that Lent vibe. From the talking snake, to the grappling with mortality, and finally to the deeply disturbing experience of Jesus in the wilderness. When I read Bible stories like this, especially these, these ones that are just sort of confusing and difficult to grasp, I can sometimes get a little lost in some of the unknown details. I wish I could ask more questions. I want to place myself amidst that story and really figure some stuff out because there are some holes, right? I want, to, I want to figure it out. So I start to wonder about these things. And with this morning's gospel, I just wanted to know, for example, what he was actually doing out there for that full 40 days other than being tormented by the devil. I want to know where he stayed. The desert wilderness is really not a great place to camp, even if you have good gear. 
Did he have a makeshift shelter? Did he find water? Was he really alone out there the whole time? Or was, you know, what happened? Did he make runs for supplies in the town? Did he have someone bringing him stuff once a week? Like, what was going on with this 40 days? I know, I know it lacks mystery and poetry to wonder about the minutia, but this week I started thinking about it in terms of this text, and it sparked something. I kept thinking of packing lists. I kept thinking about how Jesus prepared and how we can be prepared for what comes next. I think that it goes without saying that Jesus did not prepare well for trips or excursions. He'd be that kid that gets the list for, for church camp and just like puts in like his toys into, you know, into the suitcase and takes it. Like he, he was not the friend who always had bug spray, sunscreen, and snacks. I love those friends, because I'm usually the friend that does not have those things. But Jesus was just not that kind of person. He was not the Eagle Scout type. We see over and over again where he actually seems to defiantly resist being prepared. He told his disciples that he didn't need a home. Son of man has no home. I can use a rock for a pillow, remember? He ended up time and time again not having water, needing to ask for that when he was at the well. He did not pack himself lunch. Remember that poor little boy that had to give up his lunch for Jesus and 5,000, 10,000 other folks? He encouraged his disciples to chew on the ends of wheat when they were hungry, which, gross, that's not a good snack. He relied on the hospitality of friends and strangers instead of being prepared. But maybe that is a kind of preparedness too. I think that if he would have prepared appropriately for these 40 days in the desert, he would not have had occasion to be tempted by the devil. But Jesus never did anything by accident. So his lack of preparedness has something to teach us. It tells us a lot about the way he invites us to live in the world. As it turns out, if we look at the example of Jesus, we are actually called to not be so self-sufficient. Jesus was God embodied. Jesus walked on water. Jesus could turn water into wine, which would have come in handy out there in the desert by himself. Jesus could heal. Jesus brought people back from the dead. Jesus could have conjured a five-course meal out of those stones, not just bread. But instead, he chose over and over and over again throughout his earthly life to be blessed by others or to go without. In short, Jesus' packing list was not practical or physical. It was spiritual and relational. What I need is out there. And what out there needs is me. It's not the first time that we see minimal packing lists in the story of God and God's people, right? Sarah and Abraham set out, leaving most of what they had behind. Noah only took two of every animal and his own family. Um, the Israelites left Egypt with, it, with nothing, and then they were given just enough food for the day as they wandered in the desert. Jesus sent out his disciples without anything so that they would be reliant on others, 
In light of all this, I want us to consider about our preparedness for this journey in Lent. I truly hope that you see it as a journey this year. I feel just profoundly called into this journey with all of you, and I'm so excited about it. As I was praying before the service today, I, I feel like this intentional spiritual pilgrimage that we share during Lent is going to be powerful this year. It's a time set aside for healing and growth and depth and revelation. And how often do people in our culture get that kind of thing? We're the people of the quick fix. We're the people of the drive-through. We're the people of getting something from Amazon in the same day here in San Antonio. Getting anything from our fingertips. Instant rice. We can take an airplane and get to the other side of the world within 24 hours. We can go down to the San Antonio airport and get to Australia by tomorrow. But if we could truly look at these 40 days set aside to reset, reset our passion for being alive, our soulfulness and loving God, our fervor for justice, and see it as a journey, what would we pack? This is a long haul, y'all. We've been gifted this time in the middle of our church calendar but it is not going to be over before we know it. There's no shortcuts, and we like shortcuts. So this time of journey, what would we pack? I think that if we follow Jesus' example, we would pack nothing practical, right? <laughs> Don't bring your snacks. That means that we get to rely on and experience the hospitality and kindness of those around us. And we can step out of our house every single day thinking, what I need is out there, and what out there needs is me. What if our practicality has kept us from the miraculous that God has wanted to show us? What if our fierce independence has kept us from experiencing true community? Okay? So... We don't prepare for ourselves, but we rely on hospitality to others. What if we could pack humility? What if we could actually show on the outside what is always true for all of us on the inside, and that is that we don't have it all together? You don't have it all together. Can we allow that kind of space and vulnerability in the world? To be able to not only receive the kindness and hospitality of others, but also provide a kind of hospitality to others to be themselves too? Jesus would not have brought snacks, but he would have brought that openness and vulnerability, and he would also bring an open heart. He would listen. He would see people for who they were, and he would allow those interactions to draw him into community and transformation. We saw over and over and over again where he spoke to people on the fringes. He was invited into holy spaces by people that he was not even supposed to be talking to in the first place. So can we bring that same non-judgmental seeing and listening into our Lenten journey? Can we, when we feel tempted 
to tell someone what to do or to dismiss them, instead to take a deep breath and open our hearts and create space for the holy to happen. So, we allow hospitality of others towards us. We create hospitality for others with our own open hearts and our own vulnerability. And we look again to Jesus, who probably didn't bring a tent, if I'm being honest, when I really think about what he did out there in those 40 days. I can't imagine him bringing a tent, but he would have brought his deep faith and conviction in the reign of God. Even as Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, or even more dramatically, as he was being murdered publicly, he never once gave up his faith and conviction in the path that God set before him. He chose that way over comfort, over esteem, over safety, over his own life. I don't think that we're going to be asked quite that much this Lent, but could we choose to sit in faith over fear? Could we put that on our packing list? Could we stop acting out of self-preservation so much? Could we stop acting out of control so much and allow faith to guide our steps? As Eden and Eunice showed us, this journey in faith is as much, is much more nourishing than running in fear. That's what we're doing a lot of the time, if we're honest, right? Running in fear means that we're not paying attention. You know what happens when a crowd runs in fear, right? People who would never hurt a fly unintentionally trample others and kill them because something else takes over. Fear disallows us to care for others or ourselves. Running in fear gets us to a place that we did not intend to be. Have you ever been so scared of something and you go running and then all of a sudden when the fear subsides, you're like, where am I? Journeying in faith helps us see others, helps us honor others, helps us honor ourselves and embrace what God has for us, which is here, now, this. Good news. When you're packing for the journey with Jesus, you will not have to pay for a checked bag. You will bring almost nothing of physical substance. But everything you bring will lead you deeper into the heart of God. And the growth and joy that comes from that cannot be taken away from you. So let's pack light this Lent, leaning into the now with Jesus. Happy trails. Amen. Let's stand and sing together beautiful, scandalous,